Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. I feel quite emotional on so many levels this morning. And I can't quite unpack all those right now, I think. Um, so let's just start with this, with the chapters. Does that sound good? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapters 1 is where we will begin. And while we're turning there, let me make one more quick announcement by way of reminder. And that is this Wednesday, say this Wednesday, on January the 11th, we're beginning our 10-day corporate fast together as a part of the new year. As Pastor Joe mentioned, a first fruits offering this year, really setting the tone for the year. Maybe you've heard us announce that before. Maybe you haven't heard that yet. Well, we're doing that this Wednesday is when it begins. Now, throughout this fast and throughout this month, there'll be additional prayer spaces for you to be a part of. Of course, we do that each Sunday morning right here at Oasis Academy, but we're going to create some additional spaces for you to be a part of. Be looking over the next day or so for more communication coming your way about how you can be a part of prayer, because we don't want to just abstain from eating or uh, certain things. No, we want to lean into prayer. And so that'll be beginning, uh, be beginning this Wednesday. It'll last for 10 days. And part of the message this morning will help give some definition to the why behind the fast. I want to encourage you personally, begin to ask the Lord, what is your why? God, what is my why behind this fast? Fasting, there's a grace for fasting when you have focus to your fasting. And so on a corporate side, this message will help give some definition to it, but I want to encourage you to find that individually. So by this point, hopefully you're at Ezekiel chapter 1. Um, but before we jump into Ezekiel 1 and the first few verses there, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 and then go to Ezekiel chapter 3. I want to tell you how this whole message came about in my own life and in my own heart. Because this message God is looking for watchmen is much deeper than just, hey, what's something we think would be helpful or beneficial for this year? It really comes out of a very um, specific commissioning that God gave us corporately and God gave me personally and individually. And it happened just a few years ago. So I'm going to begin with that encounter and then we're going to go to the word and really build out the, the biblical infrastructure in order to introduce this theme of the watchman. June 14th, 2020, I'm awakened out of an encounter with God that I had through a dream. Now I describe it as an encounter with God within a dream because it was more than a dream. It was this moment where God was showing up in a profound way that was apprehending me and really setting the trajectory for the next season of my life for me and Delana and our entire family and actually the steps that led us here to Manchester. I won't get into that whole story, but June 14th, 2020. About, I don't know, 5 a.m., maybe a little earlier, I have a dream that night where God shows up. And so I'll tell you the details of it. I'm sitting at a church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So a uh, notable city in Alabama. I'm sitting at a church. <clears throat> and the kind of church I'm in is a church that is much more traditional. 
in terms of its format and its expression. Of course, nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. But it was not the kind of church, I'll say it like this, it was not the kind of church that um, embraces what we would say a contending posture that's like we're going after revival. Like that, those words have probably never been spoken in that church. You know, that kind of mentality of we are leaning in. It's much more traditionally formatted. You come and you experience a certain kind of church service. And then, you know, you go, sort of go on with your life and you go home. Um, but that day, I, I'm there and I'm visiting and I'm wearing a sports jacket. I'm dressed a little more appropriately for the setting. And as I'm sitting there in the church service, I'm toward the back, all of a sudden I begin to feel physically in the dream, I begin to feel a breeze blowing on me. And for some reason, I knew that the breeze was coming from outside. Now, when I looked around the sanctuary, that didn't make a lot of sense to me because there was no outside access. There weren't doors to the outside like it is here in this room. Um, There was no way to actually look at or see the outside from the sanctuary. So I look around, and I'm like, this is very unusual. Why is there a breeze blowing on me? So as I turn to the gentleman beside me, I'm about to say to him, do you feel that breeze? And as I turn to say these words, all of a sudden the breeze turns into a whirlwind. And not only does this whirlwind begin to blow, but it takes over the room. Everyone in the room is suddenly picked up in this whirlwind. And I am shocked and amazed for a lot of different reasons, and I'll explain those reasons as I'm flying through the air in the dream, okay? Now, when I say whirlwind, what I mean is something like a tornado, but I use the word whirlwind whirlwind because it has a little bit more of a positive connotation. Tornado is a very negative connotation, and I'll explain tornadoes in just a moment, all right? But it was a whirlwind because I knew this is a God manifestation. This is God coming into the room, manifesting himself as a whirlwind by his spirit, and I am amazed right now. So I'm, I, as I'm flying through the air, as everyone is flying through the air, because the whirlwind you know, a whirlwind doesn't show up to, to be a part of the service. It shows up to take over the service. So all of a sudden, as I'm flying through the air, I'm thinking a lot of different things at once. Number one, I am weeping slash laughing over this reality. God is real. Like, I know that I knew he was real, but now, like, I really know he's real because he just showed up and he picked me up and he picked everyone up in this room and we're all flying around the room. God's real. Okay, that's the first thing I'm thinking. The second thing I'm thinking is not only is God real, but I'm experiencing him physically on my skin. Like in the dream, I could feel the wind blowing me. And I was, I was weeping because I was like, God is real. And I'm experiencing him physically on my skin as wind. And even when I experienced that little breeze, that was God. And I was feeling God, not just in my emotions or in my mind, in my heart. I was feeling God physically because that's how real he is, all right? The second thing, uh, I guess now the third thing I'm thinking, okay, God is real, I'm feeling him physically right now. The next thing I'm thinking is this, oh, this is what revival actually is. Revival is when God just shows up and does whatever it is he wants to. And I remember realizing in that moment, what I've been using What I've been describing as revival is really just good services longing for revival. It's not actually the full manifestation of revival. 
Because my concept of revival is, is a really, what we would call a really engaging service where everyone is leaning. And I'm not diminishing that, but all of a sudden my box is getting broken. I'm realizing, no, this, this is revival. And I realize this is what the revivalists of old meant when they used the word revival. And if this is what revival is, I want to pray for revival again. Have you ever gotten weary praying for revival? Have you ever found yourself disillusioned in the, in the place of intercession or contending for revival? And, and you reach that point where you're like, what are we even talking about? What are we even going after? And in the dream, I realized, if this is what revival is, I want to pray for this every day of my life. Because it's God just showing up, and no wonder the revivalists of old got addicted to this. No wonder. Actually, I sat down one time with a pastor, he now pastors in Tennessee, and he was a part of a significant revival in Florida. His name is Lyndall Cooley. He was actually the worship leader that, that became part of the church right after the revival began. And he sat down with me one time and he was telling revival stories about how they would pray through the night several nights a week and they wouldn't come out of the church until the sun was rising. He said, and then we would go take a shower at the house and start work the next day. And several of us were sitting there and saying, how did you do that? Like, like, did you not get weary? And here's what he said. If you, on the other side of it, are exhausted, it wasn't the glory, it was something else. Now, I'm that challenges me. He says, because when it's, like, it, when it's the real thing revival, he says, you leave more refreshed, not more exhausted. And so, while I'm in the air being carried in the world, when I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is what they were talking about. Because I'm, I'm just being careful. I can do this all the time. And so I realized what I was calling revival was actually contending for revival, which is absolutely necessary, but I can't confuse the two. Contending for revival and revival are a bit of different things. So I want to contend so this kind of thing can come. So that's the next thing I'm thinking. The, 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 I'm losing count now how many things I'm thinking, but this was just the next part. I'm shocked. This is the fourth thing I'm thinking. I'm shocked because I'm thinking to myself, this church is not even asking for this. And another box got broken. And I realized in that moment, God, you can show up whenever and however you want to. And I would not have picked this church for the whirlwind to show up, but it just did. And you can do that because you can do whatever you want. So that was the next thing I was thinking in the air. Okay, so I'm thinking all this stuff while I'm flying through the air. Everyone in the room is flying through the air. Then all of a sudden, that's kind of like the first part of the dream, all of a sudden, boom, I get thrown down out of the whirlwind. Now, actually, before I get to that moment, let me say one more thing. As I'm flying through the air, I'm thinking to myself throughout the dream, this is like a repetitive thought through the dream, I'm thinking to myself, when I wake up, I need to read the book of Ezekiel. Why? We'll read it in just a moment because God showed up in a whirlwind to Ezekiel over and over and over again. Actually, Ezekiel describes his initial encounter with God as a whirlwind encounter. And then throughout the book, he'll say, and the glory came as it came, like basically at the, at the beginning. Or he'll just say in shorthand, and I was caught up. And, and the understanding there is every time he uses those kind of phrases, it's because the whirlwind comes back. And so he keeps repetitively getting get caught up in the whirlwind. We'll describe that in just a moment. So I'm thinking to myself, I, when I wake up, I've got homework. I need to study the book of Ezekiel. Now, I'm going through the whirlwind. All of a sudden, 
whom the whirlwind throws me into the middle of the sanctuary, I land, and when I land, I'm looking at a group of men that are surrounding me. Now, in that moment that I get thrown out of the whirlwind, all of a sudden, I begin to prophesy to the men. Now, when I say I begin to prophesy, everyone has like a little bit of a different reaction or interpretation to what, what the word prophesy means. Now, for people that are familiar with operating spiritual gifts, you know that most of the time when you release a word from God, there is a process of, of like the initial reception of something. You, you, you maybe have a picture in your mind's eye, or there's a phrase that comes to your heart, or you sense something. There's the receptivity of the word. Then there is the, the formation of the language. God, how do I take what I'm you know, feeling and sensing, and how do I form it in a way that other people can connect to it? Then there is the release. So there's like reception, formation, and release is kind of the progression many times of operating in the gifts of the Spirit. This, me prophesying the dream, was not that at all. There was no reception, formation, release, God hijacked my mouth. It didn't come here, here, here. It just, poo, came out just like that. Actually, while I'm prophesying in the dream, I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know what I'm saying. I hope what I'm saying is biblically accurate because I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm like, I'm still kind of in the whirlwind. I'm being carried by the wind, good-humored, because the things I prophesy are pretty heavy, but I feel like this giddy joy in the dream because God's just doing this thing sovereignly. All right, so boom, I get thrown down out of the whirlwind. I look at the men and I say this with authority. I'm talking like the most authority I've ever spoken anything in my entire life. I say this with authority, this. God is looking for watchmen or cities will be no more. Just like the nine cities in the west of Israel. Now, when I say that, I'm thinking, what am I talking about? What nine cities in the west of Israel? Were nine cities in the west of Israel ever no more? Did they face judgment or destruction? What am I saying? And then I say one more thing. I say, and pay attention to someone in the Bible whose name that starts with a B. It'll teach you about being a watchman. When I get done, boom, God lets go of my mouth, and I laugh out loud. I look at the man, I go, what does that even mean? Like that. God is looking for watchmen, or cities will be no more, just like the nine cities in the west of Israel. Pay attention to someone whose name starts with a B. It'll teach you about being a watchman. God lets go of my mouth. I laugh and say, what does that even mean? Now, as the dream is ending, I am walking out of the sanctuary. As I'm walking out of the sanctuary, I hear either like the person who's hosting the service or the pastor, I hear them moving on with the announcements. And I realized once the whirlwind left, they put everything back in place and moved on with the service as though the whirlwind never came. And I was grieved in my heart because I realized they experienced the whirlwind, but they did not embrace the reason behind the whirlwind. And that's the way the dream ends is I walk out being grieved. Now, nine cities, all of that stuff, wow, that's a lot to digest. There's a whole lot there going on. Where do we begin? Well, after I wake up and begin to investigate biblically what's happening here, 
there were other unusual and supernatural ways that God confirmed the dream and the experience and put exclamation points on the encounter. However, I'm going to save most of those for next week as we dump, jump into the topic. So I want to begin a little more introductory, just talking about the concept of the watchman. Because though at the beginning there's the whirlwind and at the end there's me walking out, the real heart, the real focal point of the dream is the statement, God is looking for watchmen. So where do we begin by, how do we begin in terms of answering that call? How do we conceptualize about what it is to be a watchman? So let me begin with this idea. The call of the watchman is an interruptive call. To say yes to being a watchman is not an add-on, it's an interruption. God in the dream showed up as a whirlwind because he was letting me know and the church know and all of us know this call requires you to revolve around something other than yourself. This call requires you to get caught in a storyline that is bigger than you. This call requires you to get out of your own rhythm, your own thing, your own worldview, and be interrupted by something from another world. We cannot be watchmen properly if our entire world revolves around us. We can only be watchmen if we are interrupted by God's world and all of a sudden our minds and our hearts and everything about us starts revolving around him. Now, I mentioned this a moment ago that, you know, when whirlwinds show up, they don't show up to attend service, they show up to take over the service. We're very familiar with whirlwinds in the state of Alabama, except we call them tornadoes, all right? We have tornado seasons. Now, I know to an English mind or a British mind, that is a foreign concept that you have to prepare for seasons where weather can just simply, in a, in a split second, take over your entire life and change your world forever. But we have that. And you have seasons of that. And we have alarms in our town called the tornado siren where every first Tuesday of the month, just to make sure it's working, they sound it. And you're like, is there a tornado? No, it's just the first Tuesday of the month, all right? But let me tell you how interruptive a tornado is. Now, I grew up around tornadoes my whole life, and you know, it was never a major like thing when we had our tornado warning. You just live with tornado warnings, okay? At some point, this funnel of air is gonna drop from the sky, and it's going to be so powerful, trees are going to go flying, and houses may get destroyed. I hope you don't live in a trailer park because it could pick up your trailer and move it around. And so it's just, you, kinda, you get like familiarized with it, okay? But we had this terrible uh, episode, tornado season, in 2011. It's referred to as the super outbreak because there were hundreds of tornadoes that came across the states, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, up into Tennessee, a lot of people died. It was a very, very, very terrible season. So the next year, in 2012, all of a sudden, now we have this history with the super outbreak, and we're, taking, we're seeing tornadoes through a different lens, all right? So there's a tornado warning. 
And, and you know, we're like, okay, we don't have a basement in our house because people where we live have tornado shelters. Like you dig underground, and when there's a tornado coming, you go underground, all right? So I know it sounds like bizarre, science fiction movie, but anyway, so uh, uh, this tornado comes, and it's heading toward Hamilton. We live in downtown Hamilton, and our weatherman gets on the news and says, the tornado is heading toward downtown Hamilton. Take cover. So what do we do? We don't have a basement. We, in a frantic, chaotic posture, run to our vehicle and drive to the local tornado shelter. As we are getting out of our vehicle, all of a sudden the tornado siren goes off above our head. Not because it's the first Tuesday of the month, but because our tornado is heading for Hamilton, Alabama. We are, we're, we're, just, we're running around like chickens with our head cut off. All right? The tornado is coming. The siren is sounding. Our kids are crying. We are running. We go to the shelter door and start banging on the door. They open up and they say, we're sorry, we don't have any more room. We look at each other holding small children and it's like, it just doesn't matter, we're coming in. <laughs> we come in and we weather the storm and thankfully no tornado hit our house. Now, why do I tell that story? To communicate the level of interruption a tornado is. When the tornado shows up, you don't negotiate with the tornado about how you're going to fit it into your schedule or how you're going to, you know, keep doing whatever it is that's important to you and, and still, like, let the tornado kind of hang out in your backyard. When the tornado shows up, it shows up to take over, and everything in your life rearranges based upon what just dropped out of the sky. And so when God shows up to Ezekiel with the whirlwind, he's letting him know in advance, this call I'm giving you is not something you fit into the margins of your life. This is a new interruption. This is a new rhythm. This is a new call. And now everything in your life must revolve around this encounter. Everything in your life has to find a new place based upon what has just happened to you, Ezekiel. So let's go to Ezekiel chapter 1 and read about the whirlwind. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now it came to pass in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So the whirlwind he's about to experience, the first thing we know is that it's a manifestation of God. It's, it's, a, it's a demonstration of the nature of God, the kingdom of God, what God is like. He saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which is in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim, captiv Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest. So verse 2 tells us that he saw, no, I'm sorry, verse 1 tells us, says he saw visions of God. Verse 3 says that the word came expressly or directly or in a way that he could not ignore. So the whirlwind represents a manifestation of the nature of God and a manifestation of the word of God for Ezekiel. All right? So it came expressly to Ezekiel the priest in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Verse 4 describes this. Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north. A great cloud 
with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. So verse 4 tells us that Ezekiel didn't just encounter a whirlwind, but a fiery whirlwind. This is part of the nature of God. This is part of the word of God to Ezekiel. Now, let's actually skip over to chapter 3, pick up in verse number 12. Now, the reason we're going there is not because we're switching encounters. As we move into chapter 3, this is the same encounter. So Ezekiel 1, 2, and 3 are all the continuous encounter of Ezekiel with the whirlwind. So throughout the rest of Ezekiel chapter 1, basically Ezekiel goes into an extended description of what he sees in the whirlwind. And all of the heavenly creatures and the glory of God and wheels within wheels. Many of you have read those passages, you're familiar with that and a little freaked out by it, as am I. So, you know, that's Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 2 as Ezekiel is, a seeing, is seeing this encounter, God begins to speak to him about his assignment that's coming out of the encounter. Now, you listen to this. About his assignment that's coming out of the encounter. And here's something we need to pick up, and this is what we'll read in Ezekiel chapter 3. Every encounter with God is meant to result in a fresh commission from God. God doesn't give Ezekiel a fiery whirlwind so he can have a cool story about seeing a fiery whirlwind. God shows up as a fiery whirlwind because he's commissioning and interrupting Ezekiel with a fresh assignment. And this message, this series, this fast we're going on, again, it's not about cataloging a few good memories in our history with God. It's about saying, God, I want you to interrupt me with something fresh from your throne that will commission me for something on the earth. So he experiences this encounter, and as he sees the fiery whirlwind and the living creatures and the wheels within wheels and the glory of God, and a man in the middle of it all who is on fire. We can't get into that part. There's so much to say. A man in the middle of it all who is on fire. The Bible says from his waist down, fire. From his waist up, fire. With the color amber right in the middle of it all, glowing out of the man and this whirlwind. So Ezekiel sees all of this. God begins to speak to him about the assignment that's coming out of the encounter. Now, watch what happens in Ezekiel 3.12. Again, the same, the same encounter from Ezekiel 1 being carried over. Then the Spirit lifted me up. Because until this moment, he's seeing the whirlwind. He's hearing from God. But in 3.12, he gets caught up in the whirlwind. I just want to tell you something. This is not cliche, preachery language. This is genuine, and I want you to process what it means for your life. God wants to catch you up in his whirlwind. He doesn't want you to just see the whirlwind, see that God's doing something on the earth, just see from a distance like there's, you know, there's some movement going on. No, God wants to catch you up in his whirlwind so that your whole world starts to revolve around his story. The Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. 
Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touch one another, and the noise of the wheels beside them, a great thunderous noise. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. I don't even know how to describe that in a way that makes sense other than to say Ezekiel had an encounter that rearranged everything externally and internally about his life. I went away in the bitterness and the heat of my spirit, and the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Now, notice verse 15. It's a really important verse. Then I came to the captives at Tel Aviv, not Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv, who dwelt by the river Kabar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. When God drops Ezekiel out of the whirlwind, he's so overwhelmed, he sits and says nothing for seven days. In other words, let me say it like this. He was willing to be interrupted. He was willing to encounter something that he couldn't explain, and he just sat there until God gave him an explanation. He sat there until God gave him an interpretation. And I just wonder, how interruptible are we? Or are our lives so moving in the trajectory that we have planned out, we have mapped out, that we're not open to it? Do we do, okay, think about my dream. At the end of the dream, the whirlwind showed up to the church. As I'm walking out, they put everything back together. Is that the way we handle our encounters with God? Thank you for the encounter. Let me move on with my life. Thank you for the Sunday morning moment in worship where you encouraged my heart. Now let me put it all back together as though the whirlwind never showed up. And rather than just moving on with his life as though the whirlwind didn't show up, Ezekiel sat there and waited for God to say something else. And I want to encourage, this is so key that when you have those flickers with God. It doesn't have to be a whirlwind. You have moments with God. I want to encourage you not to move on so quickly, but to linger and ask God questions about it. I understand. I'm not, I'm not, sometimes you got to go to work. You got to get your schedule on. I get that. I'm talking about what's the internal posture of your heart. Do you experience things in God and then just move on as though nothing happened? Or do you allow your heart to linger and ponder and inquire? You know, when Moses goes up the mountain with God, Actually, he's not necessarily going up the mountain with God. Initially, he's just going up looking for a sheep, and he's being a shepherd. He's up on the mountain, and all of a sudden, he sees out of the corner of his eye, he sees a, a, a sight that is unusual, and it is a bush that is on fire. Now, but it's not consumed. Now, it says something very specific there in Exodus chapter 3. It says, and when Moses saw the bush he turned aside and drew near. And then it says, and when the Lord saw that Moses drew near, then God said, Moses, Moses. In other words, God did not commission Moses as the deliverer of Egypt, I mean of Israel, until Moses leaned into the fire that was on the mountain. 
It wasn't until he paused and leaned in that God then gave him definition from the encounter and a commission to go and free a nation. How many times do we have encounters but miss the commission from the encounter because we don't lean into the burning bush? We see the bush, we write about the bush, we talk about the bush, but we don't linger at the bush. So Moses not only saw the sight, he turned aside and he drew near. And when God saw that Moses was willing to be interrupted, God said, all right, Moses, now I got something more to say. So Ezekiel gets caught up in a whirlwind. And out of this whirlwind, he gets thrown down by the river Kabar. And as he's sitting there, he's pondering it, astonished for seven days. He doesn't know what he's just encountered. Watch what happens to Ezekiel because he's willing to be interrupted. Verse number 16. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man... I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. God interpreted the encounter when Ezekiel was willing to wait. And out of the overflow of Ezekiel being willing to wait after the encounter, then God gives him the interpretation and says, here's what it's all about, Ezekiel. I've made you a watchman. Here's what we need to, I think, pick up from these first three chapters. God commissions Ezekiel to be a watchman from the whirlwind because the call of the watchman is a whirlwind call. It's a call to be interrupted by God's story and for our lives to revolve around his heart. This is a whole different message. Maybe I shouldn't mention it because it's for another day. It keeps talking about the color amber and that the man in the middle of the whirlwind from his chest, amber is radiating. Why? Because I wonder if the color of God's heart is the color amber. It's burning with this glow of passion and fire. And the whole whirlwind that Ezekiel sees is revolving around the amber heart of God. And Ezekiel gets caught up in that story and gets commissioned with God's heart for a nation. So the first step of the, of the watchman is the step of being interrupted. And say, God, I'm willing for you to rearrange everything about my life to commission me with your fiery heart. Now, once we are open to interruption, what is the next step? How do we give it greater definition? Because the book of Ezekiel, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of things we could talk about being a watchman. Again, we've got the next couple of Sundays after this. So this is just an introduction to the theme. What is the next step? The next step in learning to be the watchman is very simple. It is friendship with God. The call of the watchman is first and foremost the call to friendship with God. Or to mix it with the whirlwind theme, let me say it like this. The call of the watchman is the call of interruptive friendship. To allow friendship with God to interrupt your world. Is your friendship with God simply about him, him helping you with your world or about you being interrupted to join his world? 
So the call of the watchman is the call of interruptive friendship, where you say yes to his whirlwind because it brings you into the, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Into the orbit of his heart. The call of the watchman is, the, is a willingness to be interrupted so you can be brought into the orbit of his heart, his passion, and his desires. Now later we'll talk about intercession. We'll talk about the prophetic edge. We'll talk about what it means for cities and nations. We'll talk about different areas of watchfulness. But again, all of those, if they're simply seen as add-ons, will be short-lived and ineffective. The foundation is that you are willing to be interrupted on behalf of friendship with God. That's where it begins. And then out of the overflow of that, the other stuff just flows. The intercession, the prophetic edge, the gulf heart for cities, the going after nations, the, all of the stuff that you do. But the foundation is interruptive friendship with God. See, the reason why God's looking for watchmen is because God is looking for friends. And he himself is a watchman. The reason why God is looking for watchmen is because God is looking for friends and God himself is a watchman. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. And let me say it like this. Number one, as we're going to Matthew 26, I, to say I believe deeply in the impact of your prayers is an understatement. Like I, that is in my veins, it is in my bones, it is, it is a part of my DNA, everything about me oozes contending prayer because I believe in the fruit of our prayers. However, with that being said, and that understanding being established, the call of the watchman sometimes is not so much God being concerned with the outcome of your prayers, but the fellowship of your presence with him. Now, I believe in the outcome of your prayers, but I believe deeper that God is looking for friends. And out of friendship with God, then we start having conversations that shake nations. But it begins with friendship with God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, starting verse 36. It says, then Jesus came to them. This is the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is on the eve of his crucifixion, burial, resurrection, ascension. You know, just massive moment. He's going to the garden with the disciples. It says, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So to some of his disciples, he says, sit here a little while. I'm going to go to pray. Verse 37, and he took with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. In that moment of sorrow, what does Jesus look for? Verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Later he says watch and pray. But before he brings up the word pray, he says watch about three times. The initial call was not even a call to pray. The initial call was a call to watch. What is he saying? I want someone to understand the areas of sorrow in my heart. And the question in front of it, us is this. God is acquainted with our sorrows. How acquainted are we with his sorrows? Because when, when it was about Jesus showing up and providing for their needs, the disciples are all about it. The moment he says, will you watch with me, they start falling asleep. 
How many times are we unavailable when God is looking for friends who will watch with him? He says, stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass to me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, and he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Next verse, watch and pray. In other words, it wasn't primarily the outcome of their prayers that motivated Jesus to wake them up. It was, I'm just looking for friends who will know me in my hour of sorrow. I'm looking for friends who will know my heart. I'm looking for friends who will be familiar with my tears. And I'm not, I'm not inviting everyone into that storyline. Some of the disciples don't even get invited, but some do. And the ones that did fell asleep in the, in the place of invitation. I don't want to be so self-centered that I am sleeping in places where God wants to share with me the sorrow of his heart. What it is that is causing that amber heart to beat in the middle of the whirlwind. Let me end with this story, and there was, <laughs> there's a lot more to cover, a whole lot more to cover, but let, let, let's maybe end with this story. So a leader that's really made an impact on me, an impact on a lot of our team, his name is Corey Russell. Some of you know the name, some of you don't know the name, that's okay. He's from a ministry called the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Missouri. He's originally from Arkansas, then went through there, and then now God uses him in different areas in different ways. And he's really known as a man of intercession, a man of prayer, a man of end times, talks about the return of the Lord and his desires to awaken nations to this... Um, whole heartbeat of the bride of Christ longing for the return of the Lord. So there's a lot about who he is that's just really, really just amazing. But he told a story one time that has always stuck with me. He's a very funny guy. He's very serious, and he just prays in tongues nonstop. I've picked him up from airports a couple of times, and as soon as he gets in the car, he's like, hey, you know, it's an hour and a half drive, and Hamilton to the airport is like, hey, let's pray in tongues. And it's just, he's praying in the Spirit an hour and a half. Nice to meet you too, you know. <laughs> I guess if I want to engage, I just need to interpret, right? Is that how this works? So, um, but he's very funny as well. And so he told a story one time and he said, you know, <clears throat> he said, I'm a very heavy sleeper. Like nothing wakes me up. He said, one night as I'm sleeping, it's like middle of the night, I know the Lord is waking me up. Like, I, I, once I feel it, like I'm, I'm waking up, and I know the Lord's saying, hey, come and pray. And he says to himself, oh, Lord, I just, I can just, you know how we do, I can pray right here in the bed. So he said, he starts like praying the spirit a little bit and then kind of dozes off, you know. Second time, he feels this, you know, internal just being awakened, and he knows the Lord's saying, come and pray. He's like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry, I'll, I'll stay awake this time but still doesn't get out of the bed. So he just stays in the bed, and he's praying. He dozes back off. Finally, the third time, he's awakened, and he feels this urgency, get up and pray. He's like, whoa, God, his was thinking, God has something to say. Like this is, a, I'm, 
if God three times, like Samuel in the night, if God has awakened me three times, like me, heavy sleeper me, if God's awakened me three times, he's got something to say. So he gets up, stumbles into his living room, and prays. He said, I, I, he said, I don't really know how long I was there, maybe an hour or so. He's like, I'm in the middle, middle of the night and pray. He's like, and honestly, he said, it was just, it was just boring. He said, God didn't really say anything. I was just kind of rocking, praying, you know, just, he said, so I eventually just went back to bed. He said, the next day I went to our prayer room. I saw one of my friends there, another leader. And he's like, so I told him the experience. You know, I just said, hey, you know, I had this experience last night. I'm kind of discouraged by it. Like God woke me up three times and I went and prayed and I didn't hear anything. I didn't get anything. You know, I'm not, what did I, what did I do wrong? And his friend looked at him and said, you didn't do anything wrong. It's not that God wanted to say something. God just wanted you to be with him. It was not about you getting something profound to tell to other people. Maybe God was in a garden moment and just wanted the fellowship of your presence in the room. Being a watchman, first and foremost, is about embracing interruptive friendship with God. Let me show you one more verse. I'm over my time. Team, you can come. So I'm going to share just one more verse, and then we will um, wrap up for, for this morning. Psalm 127, verse 1. Now, again, I, I spent a while teaching about how God's a watchman and what that looks like and how much it affirms it just over and over and over again throughout Scripture. God is the watchman of Israel. But let's look at this in Psalm 127, verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, most of us are familiar with that part. We never think about the second half of the verse. But that part's like, yes, God, we don't want to build anything that you're not building. And I love that. I'm 100% with that. But here's the second half. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Where it says the Lord guards the city, that is the same word that's used in the next statement about the watchman. So actually what it says is that unless the Lord is the watchman, you're a watchman in vain. Because being a watchman is not about just random intercessory acts, kind of just wherever, not that those won't bear fruit, but being a watchman is about being with him and allowing your world to be interrupted so it can come into alignment with his heart. If we will just stand throughout the room. Obviously, in the dream and in the, in, in the word, we see a we see a lot more of of the fruit of the watchman, the imperative of it, the necessity of it, the all of that. And again, we're going to talk about that. The vocational side is very important, but I think before we talk about any of the vocational side of the watchman, we need to begin first and foremost with the relational side of the watchman. To say, God. <laughs> Forgive me for making you revolve around my world. Now, in saying that, let me affirm, it's not because God's not disinterested in your world. That's why at Christmas we talked about the humanity of God, the incarnation of God. 
He became one of us. He dwelt among us. He cares deeply about who we are, what it is we are going through. God is very attentive to that. However, God is not just God incarnate. He's also God ascended. Meaning, He has a world from which He reigns. And through His whirlwind, He wants to bring us up into that world. And if we want to be friends with Him, we say yes to the interruption. So if we will, right where we are, begin to open up our hearts to the Lord and say, God, <laughs> I don't know, express where you are, express your desire, express your hesitation, express whatever it is you need to express. But I believe this morning, God's looking for watchmen, not just the vocational side, but the relational side. God's looking for friends. So Lord, this morning, we open our hearts to you. Lord, we expose those areas where we have been unwilling to be interrupted. We expose those areas where we've simply wanted you to step into our world, but we've not been willing to step into your world, Lord. Lord, we expose those areas where we want you acquainted with our sorrows, but we don't want to be acquainted with your sorrows. Lord, we expose our self-centeredness, Lord, that tries to get your world, your word, your kingdom to revolve around our hearts, rather than realizing we are created to revolve around your heart, that amber heart of fire that is consumed in flames. Lord, we say yes to the interruption. We say yes to friendship. We say yes to the, all the things you want to do in our lives. We say yes to being watchmen, your watchmen, your watchmen, your watchmen. In Jesus' name. As Lisa and the team sings this this morning, right where you are, I just want to ask you to very personally and individually. Just begin to express your desire to the Lord. Let Him speak to you as you speak to Him. Father, here we are this morning presenting ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.